Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. known fact about my guest today. He was the first runner up on the first ever season of American Idol back in 2002. It is incredible to have him on my podcast 20 years later talking all things Idol, Kelly Clarkson, and so much of what his journey has been since. And honestly, most people think, wow, being on Idol is like the end all be all, but really it was just step one in what has been the most extraordinary career as a performer and a writer and an inspirational human to so many. Welcome. I think of him as Broadway's Justin Guarini, but honestly, everyone feels like they get to um, call him their own. Justin, thank you for being on the show today. A-okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is Justin Bell Guarini. Justin's incredible performance career launched with the first season of American Idol in 2002. I almost called it American Idiot, but that is another credit that we'll get to in a minute. His stage and screen appearances since then include Broadway productions of American Idiot, In Transit, Paint Your Wagon, Romeo and Juliet, Wicked, and Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Justin has hosted nationally broadcasted shows like Idol Rap and Idol Tonight, along with live red carpet events for the TV Guide Network, the Oscars, the Emmys, and the Grammys. He continues to reprise his role as the truly lovable little sweet in the award-winning national commercial campaign for Diet Dr. Pepper. In 2019, Justin founded the Warrior Artist Alliance to help performers achieve the success they deserve in a challenging industry. He shares his tips, tricks, breadth of experience, and warrior mindset with a community of performers through podcasts, his best-selling book, Audition Secrets, blogs, dynamic training programs. Uh, He speaks all over the world, performs all over the world, also husband and dad. I am so thrilled to welcome Justin Guarini to the podcast. Hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. I feel like that's the, that's it. I don't, we really don't need to have a show now because I think everybody knows everything, right? I mean, they can Google the rest, go to YouTube. What's the point? Why don't you no. and I go offline, catch up, no. and then they can just go to YouTube. Um, actually, it's true. I was actually thinking about you who I've had the incredible pleasure of, of meeting in real life um, and collaborating with you. You had me on your podcast and we've done yeah. some lives together. And I think about how... You know, I close my episodes with, can you share a little known fact? And I feel like, wow, you are one of my guests who has been so open, transparent, and honest about 
almost every aspect of your life. So I'm hoping that today we'll uncover some never before unearthed something um, that will make us both feel like, huh, this was a new, this was something new in a format we know so well. Yeah, I have it. I have it already in mind. So I'm I'm ready. ready All right. So I love how much you um, share the truth about what it is to be one of the biggest stars in the world and what everyone's understanding of what that is and to break it down with such honesty, you crashed uh, onto the entertainment planet with a show that is now like 22 years old, um, but really 20 years old, old, um, but began uh, on your back in a way. Um, you are part of the creators of this phenomenon. And I just want to go back like a hair, like a scooch before that, which is you were a Broadway kid, right? Like you were a broad, like loved Broadway, loved musicals. Am I correct? 150%. And I do have to go back one of the biggest stars in the world. I think that's, that's very kind of you to say that. (laughs) It was generous, let's just say, but yeah, you know, uh, Justin, there was a moment that that would not be one bit hyperbolic. Like if you think about sort of the the national and then kind of international obsession, um, with the final, contestants on American Idol. So right. okay. Okay. I and you know what? I yes. Take it. I am someone I it. will. I know. And I and that's that's a challenge for me. It is a challenge for I me know. to take compliments in general, much less something as seemingly hyperbolic as that. But when you put it like that, yeah, sure. You know, 20 years ago, uh Crash is right because boy, we were flying by the seat of our pants on American Idol. And yet what's so interesting is I, I love to tell the story about how I was sitting in my car waiting to go into work. Um, I was working in a bar and bat mitzvah company called Cutting Edge Entertainment, which still exists. One of my favorite jobby jobs I've ever had in my life, because not only did I get to sing and dance at it, and I just went to parties on the weekends and got paid what then was a really great salary to do it, um, but it was such a great thing to have happen before American Idol, before my professional career began, because I, as the party promoter, as the whatever you want to call it, uh, had to work with the toughest audience ever to exist. And that is wealthy 13 year olds, <laughs> like the, the most difficult people to entertain. I was tasked with entertaining. And so it was such a great proving ground right before American Idol happened. So fast forward, I'm in my car, I'm sitting and I have just about a week before, maybe two weeks before gotten this yellow piece of paper that they said was a golden ticket, right? I had gone through the whole auditioning process and I knew that I was going to California. Now for years, years before that, I was auditioning for Broadway. I was on the track to go to, literally on the track to go to Broadway. I went to school for uh, musical theater and for vocal performance at University of the Arts in uh, Philadelphia. I had studied at Westminster Choir College in Princeton, New Jersey. I mean, like it was on. And I had been in all the musicals in my uh, high school and in junior high. And so I had in college auditioned for The Lion King and gotten to go up and do master classes in New York. And the 
associate director at the time was just like, you know what, we, we really, really, really like you. We don't have a spot for you right now, but please just, just, just be patient. We're going to find something for you. And then I would audition and audition and you know how they do, right? They'll say, yes, yes, yes. And four years of this happened. And then I heard nothing. And wouldn't you know it? Fast forward back to me sitting in the car waiting to go into work. I've got this yellow piece of paper. I know I'm going to Los Angeles for the very first time in my life. I've never been to the West Coast. And the phone rings and it's Bender Casting, who, as you might know, casts The Lion King. And they said, hey, Justin, we finally have the spot for you on Broadway. This is going to be your Broadway debut. I was 22 two at the time and i'm thinking to myself oh my goodness all my dreams of wanting to be on broadway and then in the lion king which is like well you know will never close uh and then i was like but okay yeah um there's a show in la that i uh, that I, I have to go do um can i call you back in a week because i might get cut and they were like yeah fine and so to wrap up the story i go out to the Pasadena Civic Center, and we go through Hollywood Week. Everyone's exhausted. The whole point is to put us through the ringer to see if we can actually handle what uh, just what a taste of the show will actually be like. And I get down to being not even in the top 30. There was maybe 90 of us left or 60 or 90 of us left. And I had one of those watershed moments in my life where I was walking down the bomb at the Pasadena Civic Center. And it's this old theater where you can smell the dust and the wood seats in the air. And I looked up at the stage and I saw the lights and the smoke whirring and the American Idol logo and you know the, the Coca-Cola bottles and the, the dais where the judges sit. And I looked over into the center of the audience and I saw all these people who were my friends, but also my competitors. And I thought to myself, I've got to make a choice because I have to call these people and tell them yay or nay to a dream that I've had. I've got to call the Lion King and say yes or no. And that's when I just started bawling. And I wasn't a big crier back then, ever since I've had children and dogs and you know, almost 44 years under my belt. Now, uh, I, I've, I've opened up much more, but I just started bawling then. And there was just this little voice that said to me, and, and I know it now with the way that I, I live my life and, and the relationship that I have and the personal relationship that I have with God, I know it was that God whisper saying, do this, this is right for you. And instead of fighting it, instead of questioning it, instead of whatever, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I was not as connected as I am now, certainly then, I just decided to listen. I called up Binder Casting and I said, thank you so very much. Oh my goodness, this was, Oh my God, amazing opportunity. I, oh, I really would love to do this, but I think I'm going to go with this, this other thing, being American Idol. And they said, okay, fine. And you know, hung up the phone. And fortunately, I made it through American Idol. And 10 years later, I would find myself at the opening night party of Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which was my very first musical, having the opening night party in the hotel in Times Square, in the conference room, where I first auditioned for American Idol in New York City. So it was like this 360 moment. And I was like, okay, this is what's supposed to be happening. It's okay. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time when Idol first, I mean, you're in the very first season. So now we all have a sense of what it is, right? We, we all know what this is. At the time, it was a show that had been in England um, that most of us didn't know about. 
when you, was there like a flyer, you know how like people tell the story, they auditioned for rent because they like pulled off a tab from a lamppost in the middle of New York, like, hey, do you want to be in rent? Like, how did you even know there was this thing, American Idol, that you're going to audition for? Forget even like you're going to Hollywood. And we all know that iconic clip that you can watch on YouTube of like Paula weeping um, at the the idea of you being a a living human being. Um, And even Simon weeping. Uh, How does that even begin? Like, how do you actually go and you wait online like, Tell me everything. You're on mute. Oh, yeah, for You're sure. Back. I will break down. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I'll okay. break down the process for you 100%. Let's give it to you clean. Oh, yeah, for, absolutely. I'll break down the process for you. Um, it was really simple. They put all of $5 into uh, ad budget on Fox. And so my mom just happened to see a commercial on TV and said, hey, check this out. And I went to fox.com forward slash American Idol. And now, you know, again, we know what American Idol is now. We also know what the internet is now. And if you go back to the the yesteryear, the simple days of 2002, the internet was not quite what it is today, right? Pre anything that we understand as social media, pre cell phones on a mass scale, pre pre technological yeah. world that we live but in. But you did and have so, a computer. I did have a computer. And now yeah. most, and, and the funny thing is, is that, and this is my nerdy little heart speaking, you know, some of those computers, you could fit all of the information on those computers on like a couple of CD-ROMs. Right. You know, like one of those. Right. Like, like, yeah, so yeah, it yeah. was it was a computer, but it wasn't anything like, we have more power in our cell phones now, our right. smartphones than that thing ever could have hoped to have. Anyway, so I go to fox.com forward slash American Idol and and it is janky. Links don't work. Things are broken. The pictures are kind of, uh. I mean, they, they literally, and I would come to find out later that uh, the, the creators and producers of American Idol would go to NBC, CBS, ABC, all the things. And they're like, no, no, this, we have star search. No, we don't want this. Mm-hmm. And Fox was mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, Fox sure. was like, we're different. We'll take it. Sure. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And so they did. And they took a, they took a risk on it. And uh, as uh, uh, Fox has shown <laughs> over the decades, those risks pay off. Mm-hmm. And so I, I downloaded the form and the form is like any other sort of boilerplate sign your life away. And, and one of the things that stuck out to me was the, that they owned all of the rights in the entire known universe in perpetuity. That's one of those things that I've never since seen in a contract where they literally have, no matter where in the universe this thing is played and for the, the forever, <laughs> they, they own the rights. So, and then I would, I, I went to New York and I stood in line in Times Square and I remember, oh, don't you, I miss it. I miss Toys R Us in Times Square with the big, the big Ferris wheel in there. It was, it was still there. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing that and standing in line at the Millennium Hotel. That's mm-hmm. where we did it. That's still and, there. Which is still there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to a conference. I used that ago. restroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Haven't we all? And like, I, 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 it took forever. I was reading the first Harry Potter, right? And standing in line and, People you got to the fifth singing. Harry Potter and it was your turn. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much, right? Yeah. Four movies right. had come out. Woo, it was crazy. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe was doing Equus. It was crazy. So uh like it, it was it was um it, it was how a long, long time. How long did you really how long do you oh, think you really waited eight on Eight hours. Eight hours. 
eight hours easily if between the line and being sitting in the hotel and the conference room eight hours and it was this and but you know what it's nothing we haven't done in our yeah. business right yeah. cattle call hello yeah. i mean it was like the non-ec call and and we just i just stood in line like i had done plenty of other times because i didn't have my equity card then either and like did you make just, friends with like the person in front of you or behind you or really. were you in your own i was in my zone because mm -hmm. a lot of people were either trying to intimidate one another or they were singing so loudly as non-professional folks will do right you know what i mean like and so they'll they were just belting and it was just i just was cold and i was kind of my feet hurt and i just kind of wanted to be to myself and i was reading this book and i was tearing through harry potter right and so long story short there was an interview process and i swear it was just like a chorus line where they brought five or six of us although there's more in chorus line they brought five or six of us into a room and one of us stepped forward sang a verse in a chorus and stepped back another one of us stepped forward and what was really beautiful about that experience is that we were all holding hands in the room it was really interesting. That's it was like sweet. this room. It was so like instinctually, sweet. instinctually. Yes. yes, it was so huh. odd and beautiful. And it's one of the things that sticks out in my memory because we just were holding hands, the five or six of us that were in there. I didn't know anybody. I hadn't formed any relationships with anyone, but there was right. something about that process because it was a small room. There was one person um, in there who I would later would later become a producer who I'd be great friends with, hmm. and then uh, and then someone operating a you know a little camcorder, and it was so sterile as auditions can be. Right. But it's the only time I've ever been in that sort of line them up, step forward, step back yeah. thing. And the fact that we were all so supportive of one another was so beautiful. And just one of those things that sticks out in my mind is one of those moments that you remember. Did they tell they so you what happened. to sing or no. did you sing whatever you wanted? No. And what I did you sing? I, Do you remember? I cannot remember okay. to save my life. Okay. I but can't. something. You yeah. I sang something. something. Uh, maybe yeah. I, you know, I might've saying, I might've saying what you, you can Google, which is who's loving you by the Jackson five. Okay. Or, uh, I, I'm not sure, but I'm but pretty like sure I kept it simple little snippet of that and then first course first course you get you get your 16 and if you're lucky that's it and so yeah. then you wait around again and wait to hear if they call your number yeah, and that's so, it that's it and, and and you're waiting and after you audition you go and you sit up in the conference room and everybody else and their grandmama has to go and it's just like the movies where somebody comes walking through and they're like oh my gosh that's him oh my gosh he's got the folder he's got the paper and you everybody crowds around this cork board with and looks to see if their names on the paper and some people are like yes and other people are like I can't and like this this whole miasma of emotions happens and fortunately my name was on the paper and i'm like okay what do i do and they're like we'll come back and it was like at least a month a month and a half later huh. yeah, that was long okay okay so you go back to pennsylvania mm -hmm. a month later you go back again yes is that for Paula, Simon, and yes. Randy are still not yet. Yes. It is. Yeah, it was somewhere. I think it was in Chelsea. I can't remember, but it was a lot, a lot snazzier. And it was a stand outside, wait in the room. Uh, and that was when we first, we all first met Ryan and Brian, who were the hosts at that point. And um, then it was just time. And I'll never forget. And 
it's really strange because I've grown up around a lot of celebrity, much like you. And it's, it was this weird moment where I was going to the bathroom and out of the corner of my eye, I see this, just this little petite shadow <laughs> moving towards me. And I look over and it's Paula. Now I've been around a lot of famous people. It does not bother me one bit. They put on their pants the same way we do. And yet it was just in that moment. I was so shocked and she's so just sweet and tiny and everything that you think. And I, I was just like, uh, uh, no, you, you, you go ahead. And she was like, no, no, you go ahead. <laughs> she was the most gracious you could ever imagine. So I so went in the sweet. bathroom. I was like, oh my God, let me make sure I clean it up. And it yeah. smells or anything, whatever. God knows. And, uh, <laughs> and I think she'd end up going in a different bathroom, but it was a nerve wracking moment, but it, it, nothing prepared me to walk into the room and not only see Paula, but these two other guys that I had no clue who they were. And there was this man who was very toothy and smiley sitting on a stool who was, uh, who was uh, uh, named Simon. And, um, and it just was really interesting because all the suits were in there and they had video monitors and it just was, it was, it was a, an experience, an audition like I've never had before. So this is where the rich 13-year-olds really came <laughs> yes. into play because <laughs> yeah. you, you could breathe and sing and yeah. handle yourself in yeah. front of this very intimidating, but some people would feel or come to say it felt like a firing squad. But it for does. you, um, I mean, this is a long time ago now and so yeah. many things have happened. So maybe... Some of it is actual memory. Some of it is revised memory. You also get to watch it yeah. if you want, which is so strange because yeah. they filmed this moment that we're talking right. about. Right. So yeah. what did you feel? Did you feel like you sang well? Were you happy with how you sang when you finished singing for that firing squad on that yeah. day? Yeah, at the time. At the time, I totally was happy. And I walked into the room with my dad's old ski jacket. And again, you can just Google, you know, Justin Gorney audition, American Idol, first audition, whatever it was. And I have my dad's old ski jacket from the 1970s. I've got this sort of like retro shirt on, I, I think if memory serves me correctly. And like these jeans, which now would make you scream if anybody wore them. And, you know, those blocky square toed shoes that were like super cool in the early aughts. Yes, yes. And, right, you know, that we would die if we saw somebody wearing. Um, and and, you know, Nigel Lithgow, you don't see Nigel Lithgow, um, but he's just off camera. And I remember singing. And the only thing that kept me from just being super nervous was the fact that I got to focus on Paula. She was the anchor for me in that room. I knew who she was. There was a, a connection that I, I was like, if I'm going to connect with her, let me connect with her. And I remember there's this moment and it's, 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 YouTubeable, where I put my hand up like as a as a sort of like a gesture almost like a, a sort of four tops like one of those old school R&B gestures and my hand is shaking I don't know if you see it on film but my hand is shaking and I was like oh wow. I should probably put that back down and uh -huh. so as you know for people who aren't performers or speakers or spend time on stage there's something in the entertainer's brain that allows us to both perform what it is that we're performing and yet 
in the back of our minds have this running dialogue <laughs> that can sometimes be judgmental, that can sometimes be, hey, watch out, there's something going on on the stage. And so there's this split that happens in our minds. And while I was singing, I was also adjudicating my every move and making sure that I did not show these people that I was sweating. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's funny because you probably didn't, you knew you wanted it, but you probably didn't even know what it was exactly that would happen if you got no. it. No, um, not at all. Did you think growing up or how, wait, how old were you at the time? I was the 22, idol? 22. Okay. Did you, a lot of people have told you how handsome you are and how beautiful you are and <laughs> right, like, like there's commentary in the world about what you look like. Okay. Did you think you were handsome? Have you always liked how you looked, not liked how uh, you looked? No. What was your relationship no. to your looks? Interesting. You know, I, I, <sighs> There's a running theme in my life and now much less because I've just had 44 years to think about it and to experience it. But growing up as I did being half African-American, half Italian, my parents being divorced when I was five and literally being two different people almost, depending upon who I was with, which parent right. I was with, right? right? In the South, I was the son of, and am still the son of Eldrin Bell, who was chief of police, who then became county commissioner in one of the bigger counties, who was a politician, who was an, uh, uh, an a African-American leader in the community. And I was Justin Bell there. And then I was up north with my mother, who was a former anchorwoman on CNN, and my stepfather, who was a physicist and uh, uh, in um, uh, naval intelligence, and all this stuff. I was Justin Guarini. So it was two very different lives, two very different people that I had to be. And, and it was beyond what we call code switching. It was, it was because I am a people pleaser just by nature, you know, I, I literally had to switch my brain, switch my vernacular, switch the things that I wore, switch how I behaved and all that. And so um, it was the, 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 the feelings about how I looked were always kind of ambiguous to me because I never really felt comfortable 100% in the African-American community. I never felt comfortable 100% in the Italian or Caucasian community either. So I don't know that I was even thinking about that so much, right? Like I wanted to look good. And <laughs> of course, as happens to us, I had a huge zit that day, a massive zit Thank that you, day. Thank you, Jesus, for the, <laughs> for the humble, humble moment you have given right. me. Uh, where was the zit? Oh, it was like somewhere around like a cheek or something, something. And I, I tried to hide it and I'm pretty sure I put makeup on and it yeah. was fine for the yeah. cameras because thank God everything was in standard definition back exactly. then. So you could exactly. spackle and paint and you wouldn't be able to tell you were wearing yeah, makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. In terms of that, I knew, you know, I'm not stupid and I'm, I'm certainly not, um, unaware of the fact that I have two very attractive parents who then gave me what it is that I look like now. And that moment being there with Paula, I knew that 
that there was synergy, there was connection there, not romantic by any stretch of the imagination, but there was a connection there. And that if there was any anchor point that I could use what I knew to get what it is, hopefully that I wanted, not even knowing what that thing was. Right. Did you have a girlfriend at the time? I did. Yeah. That was, that was hard. That was a hard situation to be in. Um, because it was at a time when our relationship in my mind was beginning to flag and, you know, then you go 3000 miles away and you go from zero to 6,000 miles an hour, you become Mm -hmm. famous and all the other trappings of, of that life. And it, it, there was just a really big disconnect. She came out to some shows, but, um, I was you know, we were ensconced in, in our house, right? The, the 10 of us, the top 10. And right. so there was no way to really connect like that. And so eventually it just, it, it ended. And it's a shame because, um, you know, so much of what I felt like was my life, normal life ended too. Yeah. You know? So it that was, was one, one of casualty th- among yes, I mean, one casualty um, among family relationships, my friends, right. it all changed. The dynamics all changed. Maybe it didn't end, but they certainly changed. Right. Well, how did you handle, I mean, when I watch those shows, listen, I'm someone who like watches the Olympics with like under my pillow, peeking out from under, I, I am like everyone's mother. Like yeah. I can barely breathe. I'm like, oh That's my beautiful. God. Yes. Every athlete. I just can't believe I know what they went through to get there. I can't yes. believe. Oh my God. They tripped. Are you kidding me? Like yes. I can't take it. Um, and then when they win, I'm sobbing like all of me it. Too. So I think of like my understanding of the behind the scenes of any kind of competition, let alone American Idol and how much work you had to do every mm-hmm. week. And then with you know when you talked about kind of holding hands i feel like when i think of idol there is a lot of that like people holding hands each week as someone gets to move forward or or has to go home how did you it's interesting when you talk about your dad your biological dad and sort of my fantasy of how he operates in the world and then a physicist and and your mom all these people um who are high achievers i guess is what i would say Um, and confident in a certain way. How do you, how did you intuit at a very young age? Because there's no preparing for something like this. You know, you weren't a beauty pageant kid, right? There are certain friends I have, you know, Kristen Chenoweth, she was a beauty pageant person. So like auditions are nothing, right? Like no one's stealing her hairbrush and, you know, at at, um, (laughs) Pearl Studios, whatever. Like people are nice to you. Um, So how did you handle that kind of pressure? What was it about Justin Bell Guarini that intuited how to get through something like this at such a young age? It was just being, I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book Tipping Point, right? About being born in the right place at the right time under the right set of circumstances. And that's really Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's absolutely it. There is no one that I know who woke up bleary-eyed at five o'clock in the morning to see their mother putting on pancake makeup. It wasn't pancake makeup, but whatever it was, in her dressing room and then watching her go out and read the news for CNN at a brand new, I mean, in CNN, we, we, we take for granted 24 hour news, 24 hour news didn't exist. Yeah, that was and a then brand along new in, concept. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then 19, gosh, I don't even know what it was. 82. I think it was 1982, you know, uh, um, um, 
who owns oh, Ted Turner. 1982, Ted Turner is like, well, yeah, I think I'm going to do some 24-hour news. And everybody's like, whatever, Ted, you're crazy. And he makes this thing, Central News Network, and it becomes a huge hit. My mom's reading um, the news on the weekends. And so I'm playing on the balsa wood set when no one's there. I go to breakfast with the weatherman, and some fool allowed a five-year-old to operate the teleprompter. That was me. I got to operate the teleprompter during a live thing. And this wasn't like computer, you know, clacky, clacky, clack. Oops. Oh, we can fix it. No, this was literally what we would know as a grocery store belt that you put your, your stuff down on. There was a camera mounted looking down over top of the grocery belt and people put actual pages, actual copy that was in a box on this belt. And I had a little knob that I twisted and the guy would tell me, okay, twist it a little bit faster, a little bit slower, a little bit faster, a little bit slower. And then on the flip side of that, my father being a politician, uh, chief of police, which is a very political position in Atlanta, certainly that city, and growing up around cameras and knowing I had to be on, knowing that I was being watched, being photo uh, photographed, being judged, knowing that when I shook a dignitary's hand, I needed to shake their hand, not like it was a dead fish, as my father would tell me, but grip it and look them in the eye. You know, it's like all those, I was trained for this before I even knew that I was trained for it. And then, um, you know, to, to incorporate my stepfather into it, you know, just someone who is, again, that high achiever, we got to do really interesting worldly things with my father, my mother, my, and my stepfather. We traveled all over the world and just the exposure, that's the word I'm looking for, the exposure to life, the universe and everything um, was, was really a training ground for me. So it, it was intuitive, but it also was, again, like you said, like Kristen, like you, like me, like a lot of the people we know, we just were born into it. There was something about where we were and the things we were exposed to that gave us the all the training that we needed and, and the platform that we needed to, if we chose, to then ascend to whatever uh, level we wanted to inside the business of entertainment, the business of show. So you could go week to week, round to round, vote to vote, right? There'd be some phone number that people would yeah. have to call and then you'd have to wait and see what the results were. And then there's, mm -hmm. you know, you're the top 10, you're the bottom. I mean, there's all the kind of configurations and madness where I feel yes. like it is set up to just be some kind of weird torture, it um, is. right? For entertainment. Yes. It's like the yes. Coliseum, right? We it are is. the spectators at the Coliseum. Yes, yes. So if you look back at that, you know, you said you had this moment, you called it a watershed moment where you heard the voice of God, whatever that means mm -hmm. to you, mm -hmm. very decisively say, don't do the Lion King. <laughs> well, it didn't, it wasn't in speaking a negative. It's spoken to positive saying, right. do this. Do this, sorry, do, yeah. do this, exactly. Yeah. Huge, thank you for, <laughs> for explaining. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Um, did you ever... Then you did it, yeah. then you get through it. Then mm -hmm. it's you and Kelly, Kelly wins. Yeah. You have gone on record as saying, you know what? When I was watching her, you know, we didn't get to choose the song. We're assigned the song for the last, the last round, which is an mm -hmm. interesting, I don't know what that is. That feels like a strange idea, um, yeah. right? But that's how it was. We don't make yeah. the rules, Justin. That's um, right. And you have been quoted as saying like, 
I watched her do it. And you know what? That song fit her like a glove. I'm, I'm, that's not how you described it. But sure. in watching her, you were like, all things being equal, if this is the game, let's both sing this song. She wins. Like yes. this week, if that's the game. Easily. And it happens Handily. to be the, the last week of the show. Yes. Okay. Um, so that being said, and I understand that, like, okay, yeah. she wins this round and this is the defining round. Um, and I know you were close at the time as all of you were going through this show. Absolutely. When it really does happen and, and the voice in your head that's like, I, I know who's going to win this and it's not me. And yeah. she deserves to win this week. Yes. Like, can you talk about that when that 100%. happens? Like yeah. when the cameras are off and the craziness is done and you wake up the yeah. next day. Oh yeah. And, but the, that's the thing. Well, a couple of points I'll make there. Three that I can think of. First of all, notice how that situation of we sing the same song and the nation gets to choose that no longer happens that didn't happen after that year that was the first and only time it happened and they're learning right just like everybody that's else a ridiculous completely, idea completely that's ridiculous ridiculous but, but they didn't but anyway, know yeah they didn't know you know they didn't know and i don't think it was malicious and and right. yeah and and nigel lithgow who was one of the executive producers at the time would later tell me at the 20th anniversary not the 20th anniversary the end of fox's uh, um, run when it when it went off fox for all of 5 minutes till till abc picked it up he would tell me you know what i went into that meeting where we were talking about the final week and i was so upset i did not want the two of you to sing the same song right and so even he so it was one of those things where they, there were there were factions involved and so it never happened again however when and the story that i tell about this is when kelly was singing that song for the first time well, and i'll even go back a little bit further i was singing that song and unfortunately you can also youtube that and it literally felt like i was one of the what i can only imagine and i apologize to all the vegans listening I, I, I just, I, it's like cattle being down, down that shoot that we've all seen horrible black and white video of like right before they killed the actual cow. I mean, I felt like I was being led to slaughter because I, the song was terrible for me. I, I remember being in the studio recording it a day or two before because that's what we did. We recorded it so that it just, it, whoever won, their, their single was gonna come out that night or the single was gonna come out that next day. And so I had to pre-record it. And it was like, I knew then that the song was no good for me in the studio a day or so before. And it was a hot mess express just trying to record it. And so then fast forward to me being live in front of 30 to 50 million people and just butchering this song in front of all these, I mean, you know, the who's who showed up in the audience, the judges are up in their little box uh, up off to, to stage left for me, audience right. And like, it was horrible. And I'd never forget being done the song. It was like, -na 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 -na. we went to commercial break and I just looked up at the judges and I walked off and, and it just was one of those things where nobody needed to say anything because it was just a nightmare. Now, fast forward to me being in, in the first leg stage, right with Nigel Lithgow uh, and Kelly is like soaring in the rafters with this song. And I turned to him and I said, you know, you're probably going to need, 
if I win this thing, you're probably going to need to hire some extra security. And he turns to me and he goes, what, what, why? And I said, because there's going to be a riot if I win. Do you hear what she's doing? And I knew then, as if I didn't really know before, but like I knew then when it came to the voice her run throughout the show where she was never in the bottom three, where she was the dark horse from the beginning and paste and paste and paste. And then people were like, who is it? She sang uh, a natural woman and, and had this whistle Mariah Carey whistle note that like nobody saw coming. And that was her sort of like, I'm here moment. And then just slowly built, 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 built to get to the end with me. I was like, there's, there's no way. And Kelly and I would, be backstage and that night after the the finale not the finale finale but the voting night you know i i remember saying honey i, I tried <laughs> i tried but there's no way that i'm gonna win this thing she's like oh no no i'm like don't even fake the funk it's true and then lo and behold we would be standing there holding hands the very next day and night and when ryan after the most pregnant of pauses said kelly's name i turned with all just genuine like yes baby i'm so because i was so happy for her as someone that i care deeply about still care deeply about cared even more deeply about then as my friend as someone who had like you know anybody who's ever been in a show together that you know you work years on it and and then it opens and it closes you've been through the war together you know that kind of feeling and I was just so happy in that moment. And then it was very interesting because it didn't stop from there. We went directly to press. Then the very, that night, we actually flew on a red eye to go to the Today Show. And Katie Couric interviewed us. And it just was uh, just go, 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 go for the next couple of days until um, very kindly Simon Fuller, the, the creator of the show, um, said you guys are awesome i'm going to send you away to turks and caicos and we had a vacation for probably about five days in turks and caicos yeah just the two of you uh it was the two of Could us you and bring we had... family or friends no or... no not that we couldn't i don't think we yeah. either one of us wanted to but we had a two room like bungalow where it was like almost like two houses and then a sort of uh, common room and then um one of the show reps came with us but we were just determined we're like we are going to chill and we are not going to see anyone talk to anyone and at one point literally we had a a, a speedboat take us out to a private island where we just sat on the beach alone in the middle of the ocean having lunch on a picnic basket with a picnic basket and just because because everything had been so, so intense up to that point. Um, and we just wanted to be uh, away from the world for a minute. And it was lovely. And were you a couple? Um, no, actually not. No. So, so it feels, that's like an unusual thing. Usually when there's like, a, I mean, at the end of the day, there's a winner, right? right. It's right. not like, gold, silver, and bronze. But I feel right. like they sort of treated it like 
you were Olympic athletes and she won the gold and yeah. you won the silver. What you're and describing I, is and that. And I'm cool with that. And I'm cool yeah. with that. And, and we weren't a couple, but we also weren't just friends either. Like it was just this weird sort of but isn't that unusual thing. that you did that? It's that you went on vacation unusual. together? Extremely so unusual. But then again, not. But then again, not. Again, if you, as I know you have, and yeah. people listening to this have, it's like you with the cast. Think about it, you know? It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna spend uh, the better part of a year rehearsing and performing love letters, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is a two, which is a two man show, right? Yes. Like, you know, love letters. And then it, it, again, if you're, it doesn't make any sense because the actors would be older for love letters, but I, I, it's the only thing that I can think of, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Justin, in a few years, you and I could do love letters, oh, by the way. That's great, I'm totally how, down how with it. How crazy is that? Yes. I know, right, right, tell no one. And yeah. so, um, and so, yeah, it's just, we just went through this thing and it didn't, it just felt natural. Huh. It felt natural. And, and, and it just was, it just, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. And we've both addressed this in the public and I'm not telling mm -hmm. any tales out of school, right? Right. But like, you know, it just was, we were the only two people who really truly understood what mm -hmm. it is that we were going through. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm couple not couple uh, uh just sitting on the beach you know nothing crazy wild happened we just were happy to be in each other's presence because we didn't have to be anybody other than ourselves with each other mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we could sit and we could literally be away from everything i mean it was a deserted island in the middle of the ocean and it felt like we could breathe I feel like I could breathe anyway. I can't speak for her, but yes, we. we I'm had a great sure time. that's that's really unprecedented mm. in all sorts of ways. Maybe, um, perhaps a little known fact. Perhaps, perhaps we can say it now, and then I can cut it and paste it and put it sure. back in the end, okay. um, and it can bookend it. I. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it's just if I'm I'm really wrapping my brain around the whole thing. Um, we're gonna fast forward a little bit because somehow I know that there were records and record labels and record deals and recordings and mm. a lot of rock star slash pop star dreams mm. that happened and then didn't come to fruition in the way that you had hoped. Yes. And you have been so incredibly open and vocal uh, and such a, a inspiring leader for me in the conversation of mental health. Yeah. Um, because because you. you were not given uh, a Turks and Caicos vacation <laughs> monthly. That was, that was it. For yeah, the rest was, of your that life. That was the high point. To, that was the high point. In the, to, that was the high point. Certainly well, to the high point. decompress and handle. Um, with a best friend who knew you exactly yes. what you'd been through. Yeah. So, yeah. so somehow, and I think about your book audition secrets and mm -hmm. your, um, I, I, I'm going to use someone who is known in the world as someone, you know, Glennon Doyle is someone working now. Oh, Tony yes. Roberts is someone who was another version of it. It would had sort of an evangelical twist to it, mm. but just people who were able to take their experiences and, and really help other people thrive. Yeah. Um, and you have been someone, listen, we all know the story ends great. You end up a Broadway star um, who has <laughs> sure. a beautiful family and who sure. has 
makes money in all sorts of ways as a performer and shares your knowledge and experience with other people with tremendous generosity. So this ability to reinvent yourself or, or repurpose your talents. Ooh, I like that. Like pick yourself up and keep going with now I mean, I think about had social media been the animal and beast that it is now during Mm. that time, how would anyone Mm. get out of bed? Even if you won, right? Like it's just, right? So thank God for you that that was pre-Instagram and all of that. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. It's just your own, it was your own voice. Yes. And you know what? I, I'm going to take a pause here because I love repurpose. So sorry. Uh, We're hearing clicking. Are you typing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you want to keep this in, you can. Just repurpose. Uh, 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 because hold on. that was, lo- I love taking notes when I, I do these kind of things because uh, either some, uh, whether I say it or someone else says it, what there's some, the brilliance comes in these moments, mm-hmm. right. And, and, mm-hmm. and in, in communication and you, you really nailed it on the head when you said repurpose, I, it's not recycle. It, it there's not, it, there's been plenty of evolution going on, but it literally the key to my career and the fact that I've been able to go from, uh, someone who sings and dances at bar and bat mitzvahs to then someone who's slapped up in front of 30 million live television viewers to someone who has a record label that looks like, you know, uh, 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 the, the, if you outlined a pyramid, it just goes up and then comes right down and the record career like that to then someone who has been on Broadway in, in what will be the seventh show in the spring. And then someone who does these silly character on TV and commercials and whatnot, like it is repurposing. And when we think about it and we split the word repurpose, because every single time I had to take and, 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 evolve and understand and take action on what is my purpose here i know what my purpose is and and it is in a very sort of maybe woo woo airy fairy kind of way is to just bring joy and light to the dark places of the world that's a very grandiose thing and i you know i'm not like <laughs> trying to be <laughs> anything other than what i am but the way i do that is by having fun by being just joyful by nature. And when I get up on the stage, I am very aware, whether it's the idol stage, whether it's in front of moneyed 13 year olds, whether it's on Broadway, whether it's in front of the camera, whether I'm speaking to people, I realize that I have the very same power and duty in me, obligation really in me that I was made extremely aware of when I was eight. And the story is this, 1986, the Atlanta Fulton County uh, Stadium, where the Atlanta Braves used to play, has been since been torn down. The Jackson Five had something called the Victory Tour, where they all got back together as adults. Michael is Michael, but he's not the 1990s Michael who would go off into the stratosphere. No, he still was Michael, but they all got back together. 
and they had the victory tour. And my father was the uh, head of security for that venue. And so not only did I have a front, not a front row seat, but I, I had, you know, I was in the audience, but I also had the back stage and everything. And I remember being out in the audience, hot Atlanta, sticky summer day, evening. And the atmosphere was electric. The audience was just like any, I mean, it's stadiums, you can't sell stadiums out anymore, but that was happening in 1986. And so the air was electric, sweaty, people stank, nobody cared. And I look up at the stage and the smoke and the lights and the costumes and the bass and the, the kick drum rattling the back of my teeth and all the things that we love about concerts and all the music that I love from the Jackson 5 and seeing them up there. And for no apparent reason, to no one in particular, I remember pointing at the stage and saying, I want to do that. And that was it for me. That's when I knew, right? That's when I knew. And so every single time I get on the stage, that DNA is encoded in me, in every single performance, in every single talk that I give, in everything that I do, because I realize that there's somebody listening to this, there's somebody listening to this podcast for the first time, there's somebody coming to their very first Broadway show, there was somebody and there were people who came up and told me, you know what, I was physically abused by my husband and I walked out of the room and I sat down on the couch and I turned on the TV and you and Kelly and all those people were on and for some reason I just was able to click and and I'm just up there singing I'm not trying to save anybody but it's that sort of responsibility that I try and impart on people that when we are put in a position of prominence whether it's at a high school play, in front of our church, on Broadway, I don't care. That is what is encoded in me, encoded all of us, and that's the power that we have to be able to touch people by simply doing what it is that we love. And what I love to do is to make people laugh and to have a good time up on a stage and to be a fool in front of a camera and to go talk about my life and my experiences so that hopefully people will have that moment for themselves whether it's with me or with somebody else, where they go, ah, and something will click and a dark place in their life will be lit up with joy, maybe so that they can take the lantern and find their way out. And so it, it, it's all of these things that we're talking about and everything that I do. And I feel like everything, I, I, I have so, oh, repurposing. I was like, I have so gotten off topic. I don't even know the hell we were talking about, but it's that repurposing. That has what, it's been the through line through all the stuff that I've done. And, you know, the, the, the way I'll wrap it up is another key to my success. And the reason why I've been able to be a singer, an actor, a dancer, a television host, a Broadway, this and a, a commercial that and a whatever the hell else I've done that I can't remember doing cartoon voiceovers and all these other things is because of three things. I always make sure that I do good work. I will turn down high paying and I turn down a lot of reality TV, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not good work. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't just intuit that. I learned that because that's what Sidney Poitier did. And I heard, you know, Sidney Poitier, this Bahamian child who became a star, but then they gave him all these roles that didn't necessarily align with the way he wanted 
black people to be represented. Although he needed money, although his wife and his child needed to eat, he turned down work that did not align with who he was. And so doing that good work, being kind to people, and you, me, and I know plenty of people listening to this, know people in this industry who are lauded and who are not nice people. And there are plenty of people who could have been lauded and who ended up shooting themselves in the foot just because they weren't kind. And I'm not saying being fake, like legitimately kind people, remembering who they are, where they came from, how they got there. So doing good work, being kind, and probably the most important thing, which is the challenge, probably the biggest challenge for all of us, especially in the entertainment industry, is staying in the game. That is the hardest thing to do because we have a million reasons to get out and a million people trying to push us out. Yet if we stay in the game, we do good work, we are kind not only to other people, but to ourselves as well. This business, as you well know, is cyclical and it comes around and around and around and around. And for the past 20 years for me, it has come around and around and around and around. And I I just feel so blessed and so lucky that I've been able to do what I've been able to do and experience the things that I've been able to experience and, and meet and speak with inspiring people like you and just soak up all the wonderful things this, this life in the entertainment business has to offer. So I want to switch gears for a second to your kids, yeah, to your beautiful kids <laughs> and your family life that uh, you're also generous to share little hilarious <laughs> snippets right, of. Yeah. You've enlisted curated. them, yeah. uh, curated and enlisted them in, um, I mean, legitimately funny behind <laughs> the scenes of the Guarini household. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. how old are your boys now? So um, my kids, oh my goodness, my stepdaughter is 17. She's a okay. senior in high school. Oh my okay. goodness. Thank well, goodness. I have not seen her in on TikTok. Oh no, she refuses. Oh, she <laughs> she cool. will not. Yeah, <laughs> she, no, not unless she's too cool. She's just like, no way. No, I am not. No, she absolutely refuses. So okay. yeah, so Lola is 17. Okay. Uh, about to be 18 January. Uh, William, my middle son, is 11 and tweening so hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my nine year old Asher is just like if if any, all three of them have the ability to perform, all three of them have the but but you'll see my nine year old the most because yeah. he is he's into like, it. He's the one. Yeah, he's the one when it comes to performing. So that's what I was going to ask. So yeah. Lola senior in high school, high school or already yeah. in co- yeah. okay so so yeah. she's about she's at a crossroads in terms yep. of what she wants to do next mm-hmm. um have all of them been involved in school plays or theater or or no. performing no no okay. and you know what i haven't pushed it and yet i see my my daughter can sing she but she doesn't like to get up in front of a crowd be seen and all that so i'm not gonna push her she's very talented visual artist and she loves tattooing as a matter of fact i have a, a tattoo that she gave me on my uh, the inside of my wrist and it's lo for lola and i told her i'm like you are the only woman i will ever only person only person i will ever allow to tattoo their name on my body mm-hmm. right it's like i love you and i will let you mark me 
as a mark wow. of my love, right? And she's so good at it. And she's just such a, and she did it by hand. It wasn't with one of the guns. Like she did it with the, the poke, 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 poke. Uh -huh, and so uh -huh. she really loves it. She's really into it. So I think that's what her expression that is That may be, be her, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely her thing. My middle son, William, he's like, he he's going to be probably like, um, like the front man for a metal band. <laughs> like that kind of singing, like, right? Like it's like, he, because he's just so boisterous. He's a Taurus and all of a Taurus and, uh, and man, he's got a great, great voice. And I think he'll come into it a bit later on in the game, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. Asher, my nine-year-old, he is singing, dancing, acting. He was just getting his hair cut the other day and he was doing the moonwalk in. He's like, hey, check this out to the hair. He is not shy about anything, which is why I put him in most of the things yep, because he, he gets it, it, gets it quickly, loves yeah. it and just is like, okay. And yeah. he'll, he'll give me notes. <laughs> is the greatest thing i love it he gives me notes he's like no no let's do it this way and i'm like all right because i want to encourage that and, yeah. and he's great yeah. yeah yeah okay so a little known fact before i let you go yes by the way lola yes. william and asher those are such great names yeah i love all you. those names okay great. yeah yeah i mean i always sing whatever lola wants lola gets to lola when when she gets yes. real sassy um so little known fact i am a marketing nerd. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I mean, because math has never been my strong suit. Right. You know, not my thing. Um, singing, dancing, and acting. If I can't go one, two, three, four, we can count to four, count to six, right? But um, I have fallen so in love with marketing. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, when I turned 40, I realized, as many of us do, that there was going to come a time where either people didn't want to see me or hear me up on the stage or on the TV anymore. Um, or I didn't want to be, <laughs> there was going to come a time where I didn't want to be doing this or people didn't want to see me doing it. And so I thought, well, how can I, what's my, what's my legacy? Like, what's my thing? How can I take all this stuff that I've learned over 40 years and how can I use it? right? To my advantage and to, to the advantage of the people who consume it. And so I went on this journey and I uncovered so much about sales, marketing, advertising, copy, legal, optics, business, all these things that I never knew were for me the missing half. Because as we know, in the entertainment business, it's a feast and famine business. It's a scarcity business. We get the job and then what are we doing? Thinking about the next one, right? Because it, it can come and go so quickly. And yet there is this, this uh, underpinning and this, 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 um, what would you call it? Uh, programming that says, I have to make money. I have to make money. I have to make money. That's for people outside the business as well, but especially in our business, I have to make money. I have to make money. I have to make money. And if there's anything that I try and impart to my theater students, my entertainment students, is to stop thinking I have to make money. Why? Because I have to make money is an employee mindset. And why wouldn't we be? Because I don't care, Hugh Jackman, brilliant as he is, as much as he gets paid to be doing the music man right now, he is making pennies on the dollar in comparison to 
whoever's producing it, theater owners, whatever. Now, he's making much more than a lot of people would. But still, even when we as actors get on to that TV show and we're the, we're the Emmy on the procedural and we get $60,000 an episode, we're still making pennies on the dollar. We are still employees. We can be fired. And there are a million other people they can replace us with. So I got to make money, employee mindset. Hmm, how do I make more money, employee mindset? What I would love for us as an entire business of people to start thinking is not how can I make more money? How can I create more value? Stop trying to make money. Start trying to create value. Now, what's value? Well, simply put, value is the solution that you have to someone else's problem. That's it. And that can come about in, in, in a myriad of forms. For me, I wrote a book called Audition Secrets. Why? Because most people are terrible at auditioning. And you have to go through so much in order to get good at auditioning that most people give up before they actually get good, right? And so my value, AKA my solution to a very well-known problem was, hey, I've been through the ringer. I love auditioning. I walk in and sure, I feel maybe a little bit nervous. I feel what, but it's fun for me because I know that it's not a firing squad. Oh, it may feel that way, but I have the opportunity to walk in as an artist and say, hey, here's what I got. You artists on the other side of the table, would you like to collaborate with me? Yes, great, no, great. And I can walk out having a victory either way. Most people don't think that way. I know I didn't. And so when I talk about marketing and just being in love with that, I've really, really discovered that so many of the challenges that we have in this business as entertainers, as people who are of the employee mindset comes down to not understanding the value that we have. And there are plenty of ways to be able to create value outside of our business so that it, that value and what people will pay you for that value can then support staying in the game and continuing to be in this business and, and being able to stay on the wheel so that when it comes around to you, you're ready. And, and so that's, that's my little, little known fact. I'm a marketing nerd. I love to get up and, and talk and not motivate, but inspire people to find, especially in our business, to really create their own value so that they can do what it is that they love. Justin. Justin. Ilana. This has been... This is the greatest. This oh, good. Is just the greatest. I had fun. Yeah. That is all I have to say. You awesome. are the greatest. I have Jeez. loved every second of this conversation. Amazing. I am such a fan of Justin Bell Guarini. <laughs> and I <laughs> thank you. Cannot wait uh, for the next time I get to be in a room with you in person and, yeah, me and too. just watch you shine and do what you do and be there to just uh Oh, just bask in the glory of your talent. Yeah, no worries. Well, look, I got to say, I'm so thankful and, and proud to be on this show. I know that you've had some amazing people, some trendsetters, your life and, and your, your whole thing from everything that we've talked about and, and everything that you've done. I mean, you have been just such a beacon and like, uh, um, a, 
a mouthpiece for so many of these stories. I feel so lucky. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. One more thing. I keep getting emails asking how to donate to the podcast. First of all, thank you in advance. You are the kindest humans. Just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations. That is where you donate. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.